Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. And we are going to read from verse 3 to verse 8. When you got it, say so. I only heard like three so's. They were just really loud, which is good. I appreciate that. So I'm going to wait for the other so's in the room. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 8. When you got it, say so. There we go. That sounds better. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always and every part of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Lord God, thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for your grace that is real. Thank you for saving us, God, from ourselves, for delivering us from our sins, Lord God, and thank you for this day that you allow us to come before you and your word. I pray this morning that you would captivate our hearts as we hear your word today. Lord God, that our minds would be focused, that we would be tuned into you, remove distractions from our minds and our hearts. And Lord God, give us ears to hear what you are saying to us, your church, that we may be those doers of your word, not hearers alone, God. We thank you for this, and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. I want to be sure that you are able to follow along um, on in, in the introduction to the outline. I also want to make sure that you are taking some notes. Um, notes are really good and really important to help you remember some of the things that we are learning and some of the things that God is speaking to our hearts. And also there's some introspective questions in the outline for you to look at, like what do you feel like God is speaking to you and what are you going to do about that? And as always, I remind you, and I hope, you know, I really do hope that you are sitting down with someone and helping them grow in their faith. And, and, I, and I would hope that what you hear on Sundays is helpful to you and that because it's helpful to you that it would also be helpful to someone else. Uh, that's my hope is that you'll use this as a tool, the outline that you have. Also, if you look in the back of your outlines, you want, you'll notice something a little bit different. Um, there is a gospel presentation there. And so I want you to read through that, think through that. Um, um, that's, a, that's a tool for you as well to help you to be able to share your faith with someone else, right? So that way you can always remember what the gospel is. So we change that up so that way you'll be able to have a tool and, and you're ever in a conversation, um, you know, you'll know where to go and how to lead someone in to a faith in Jesus. So today we are in the fourth, <coughs> excuse me, the fourth message in the Promise Keeper series. And today we are dealing with that of completion. And so we've talked about a few different things. We've talked about God's promise of his presence um, we talked about God's promise that we will overcome sin. We've talked about God's promise of our forgiveness, right, that we have in him. And today, I want to talk about God's promise of completion, that God will complete the work that he has begun in you, that God will fulfill that thing in you that he has started, that he didn't start something and forget about it. And, you know, sometimes we forget about things, but I think it's really important. Like, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really good 
good when you're thinking about having someone do work for you, right? When you're, when you're going to have someone do work for you, you want two things, right? Number one, you want good work, right? Amen, right? You want someone that's going to do good work. And number two, you want someone who's going to complete the work, right? You don't, you don't just want to, you know, if someone was like painting your house, right? Like you wouldn't want to walk in to the foyer of your home and you're like, wow, this looks amazing. This is off the charts. And then you walk into the next room and it's a mess. And you walk into the next room and they didn't finish. And it, or they finish like half walls. Like that would be terrible, right? Like only doing half the job. And so ultimately, again, it's important for us to realize that God is going to complete his works in us. And so if you look at your outline here, we must recognize that we are all created with a purpose. And whether you're a believer or not, you need to realize that, that God created you with a purpose. There is a divine design and reason for our existence. And so some people, they have different reasons why they think they're here. Um, some people think they came from apes, and some people think that they were a plasma at one time. Uh, I don't know, but but algae, there you go, I'm sorry. Um, you know, whatever. So, you know, anyway, they, 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 they believe that their existence is really doesn't matter, right? It really doesn't make a difference um, that, that they're here. And then there's other people that have an understanding that they are here with a divine purpose. And what I want you to know is that you are for sure here with a divine purpose, but we will only find and fulfill that purpose when we come to know God and actively engage in his completion process. It is only when we come to know him. See, because something happens inside of us and there is, usually there is this, this, this gnawing at our soul. Why am I here? Like, what is the purpose of my existence? And then what happens is people seek things. Like, you know, they may go to the military, which I think is a good thing, right? They may decide they're going to run for some kind of public office, which I think is a good thing. They may aspire to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is. They, may, they, they have some aspirations. And a lot of times, it's not just because they want to make money. It's because they want to fulfill something inside of them. But the reason why I say that it's so important for us to know God in order for us to, to um, fill fulfill our purpose is because you have to know who you are before you're going to fulfill your purpose the way that God wills. Because what will happen is if you do not know God and you do not know who you are, you will be trying to live your life in order to prove who you are consistently. But when you know God, what begins to happen is you understand that you are a beloved child of God. You begin to understand that you are one that when you understand what Jesus did on the cross for you, when you understand the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus and how God wants to show you his love, when you come to understand that regardless of what you do, regardless of what you don't do, regardless of what, where you fail or regardless of where you succeed, you are loved the same way because of what Jesus did. You're loved. And so that becomes your identity. And then you know who God is. And you know who you are. And then you begin to live out your purpose, which starts with knowing him and then doing what he's called you to do. And so now you're living your life not from a place of trying to figure this out, but you know who you are, and then you start walking in whatever it is that God wills for you to do. So I want you to think about this. God not only does good work, but he does complete work. God not only does good work, he does complete work. He isn't finished, right? If you're still breathing, I want you to know he's not done. And, and I would really challenge you, depending on where you are in your life, to really think about where is it that God is at work in your life. 
Where is it that God is at work in your life? Some of us, it's like immediately you're like, yep, God's working. Some of you are like, I have no idea. You know, everything is like so good or everything is so calm or, you know, where is God working? And one thing that I know is this, is that God is often at work in ways that we don't even recognize. We don't even see his work until all of a sudden we start to see the manifestation of what that is, right? We start to see the manifestation of what it is that he's been doing for a long time. Like, you know, you ever hear those testimonies and you hear stories like, when I look back at my own life and I think about how God saved me, like, I didn't realize that God was at work with me when I was up here. Like, God was, God was at work with me for a long time, right? I mean, he, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a slow learner, right? So it takes a while to get things done with me. Um, but, you know, way back when... I, I always, t- I always tell this story when I'm telling my testimony. You know, when I was around 16 years old, my uncle, I lived with my uncle and my grandfather in Fort Lauderdale. My mom and my grandmother, they lived up here, and they had, they had just moved into Castleberry. And one weekend, my uncle and my grandfather said, hey, let's go visit your mom and grandma. And I was like, yeah, I hadn't seen them in a while. And I always remember that they brought me up here. And when they brought me up here, my uncle and, and, my, gra- and my grandfather said, hey, we're going to go to the store to get some beers, and we'll be back. And I was like, okay. And they left and never came back. They tr- I'm sure they got beers and drove home, but whatever. The, the thing is, they tricked me, right? I'm like, yo, they tricked me. You know, they, they, these guys got me. And I didn't realize this, right? I was just mad. Like, I was angry. I'm like, yo, how y'all going to just leave me like that? Like, I had the clothes on my back. I had to wait for a care package. Are you here? Like, like it, was, it was a terrible situation. A year later, I got them back, though. Hello, right? I, I thought of, I, I, was, I was scheming for a year. I was like, when we go down there, like a week before I went down there, I called up my friends. I was like, hey, I'm coming down there on such and such a day. We're going to go hang out for like three days. And the reason why we're going to hang out for three days, because I knew that my mom and my grandmother, they'd stay as long as they could. But I knew Monday was coming. Hello. And I knew they had to drive back up. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to get them back. I didn't realize that God was at work all of that time. Because when they tricked me, there was something going on inside of me. And guess what happened when I went down south? When I went back down south, you know what happened? All my friends and everybody that I was thinking about, everything had changed with them. And there was something gnawing inside of my soul. There was something going on inside of me. And I'm like, yo, everybody like change. And then all of a sudden, I'm this gangbanging guy that decides, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go to get my GED. I'm going to try to do things right. Like, what on earth is going on inside of me? But God was at work. And so the reason why I share that part of my story is because I didn't realize God was at work. I didn't realize that God's hand was on me even when I wasn't thinking about him. And a lot of times we can think, well, God is not at work. But where is it that God is at work? you because I want you to realize that he not only does good work, but he does complete work. He's going to finish what he started in you. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this, say, we must believe God will complete the good work he has begun in us. We must believe God will complete the good work that he has begun in us. And so the book of Philippians, I'm, I'm, I might preach to the book of Philippians in the new year, so um, don't forget what I'm saying right now, but just act like you didn't hear it when I say it again. But here's the thing. The book of Philippians was written to encourage the Philippian church. What I'm saying is I'm, I'm going to repeat myself next year, and I don't want you to check out when I preach and I tell you what Philippians was about. But here's the thing. The book of Philippians was written in order to encourage the Philippian believers in their faith walk and also to thank them for their 
their, their participation or their sharing in the gospel work the apostle Paul had been doing. He encourages them. He drops some beautiful, um, I'm not going to get into all of that right now, but he drops some beautiful gospel knowledge on them. He talks about the humility of Christ in chapter 2. And again, I'm not going to give you all of the detail, but he encourages their faith. He starts out encouraging them. And what he does, I love this because it starts out with this prayer. And I love the fact that the Apostle Paul is demonstrating this. Let's just read this together. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So it gives us some instruction, right, that we should be thankful when we remember one another. We should thank God in prayer. We should thank God for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be thankful. God, I thank you for so-and-so. You know, I thank you for my sister Tiffany. I thank you for the, you know, the Santiago family. I thank you so much, God, for the Lugo family. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the Banos. I thank you, Lord God, for the, you know, I don't know I didn't say all your names, but here's the thing, right? Like, I'm thankful, right? I thank you, God, for my sister D, who's always dropping wisdom on us. I, I miss being in small groups with her and Bible studies with her because I always walk away with good stuff. But, Lord, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what Paul says. He says that he thanks God upon every remembrance of them because of their participation. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. And so Paul is saying, I'm thanking God for you, but I'm also requesting things of God for you. And he says what? He says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And the one thing that he's saying is that I'm thankful for you and I'm praying for you because of your fellowship, because of your partnership, because you became part of the gospel work that is going on around the world, not just in Philippi. You weren't just concerned about what was happening there, but you were concerned about me, about my mission that God had put me on, and you became partners with me, right? You want people to be thankful for you? Join them in the mission of God, right? You want to see life transformation? Join them in the mission of God. And then he says this, out of this prayer, he says, being confident of this very thing. And look what he's confident of. He says that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That really, like, when I read that, it, I mean, it, like, he will complete it un, until the day of Christ Jesus. So he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. So the two things that come out of Paul's prayer is what? Number one, that God has begun a good work in them, and number two, that God will complete it. That's why we're talking about completion today. That God has begun a good work in them and that God will complete it. Very important for us to get this. We must believe that God is at work in our lives to keep us prayerfully focused in the midst of good times and in the midst of bad times. Are you here? And I, and I intentionally say that because it's not just about the bad times. We always think, man, we need to be prayerful for the bad times. We need to be in prayer for the times that are bad. Listen, I want you to know the, 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 the most dangerous time for you and for me is the good times. And that may sound so like, oh, that, that, that's so morbid, like I can't have a good time. I'm not telling you you can't have a good time. But what I am telling you is the most dangerous time. Right? The most dangerous time in our lives is when things are good. You want to know why? Because when things are good, we let the guards down. Right? 
When things are good, right, we're not, we're not worried about anything, right? I mean, I mean, you think about it. Like if we, I mean, if, if we just, just, if you rewind, right, I mean, a very sad, tragic day in our nation's history, right? You go back to 9-11, all right, think about that for a moment. If we had the protocols that are in place today, prior to that day, I doubt those people would have been able to get on that plane like that and do the things they did. It probably wouldn't have happened that way right? But things were good, right? Everything was like, you know, chill and everything was okay. And so, you know what? All of a sudden we experienced, uh, you know, one of the worst terrorist attacks in our nation. Why? Because things were good. So what am I saying? Things got to be bad? No, you got to be prayerful, good or bad time. You know why? Because we can be distracted, right? During, during good times, it's, it's, not, it's not so much about us being discouraged, it's about us being distracted, right? And we get real distracted by the good things, right? We get real distracted about the stuff that is good in our lives, and we forget, you know, I, I was, I was so, I'm so encouraged with my son, um, the last, about the last week or so, I, I hear him saying something that I'm like, I, I, don't, I, I'm, I can't even take credit for teaching him this, all right? So I'm not trying to act like my super, super dad here, but, you know, he's like, thank you, God. And I'm like, what did you say? And he's like, thank you, God. And I'm like, yeah, amen. Thank you, God. I'm like, that's good. So I'm trying to encourage that, right? Because I, I realize that that's a good thing. Like even, you know, thank you, God, that this didn't happen. Or thank you, God, that this is going on. Just from being reminded that the good that we have, that the peace that we have, that whatever it is that we have, thank you, God. Reminded of him, not being distracted, not becoming lax, not becoming chill. And then in the bad times, obviously, we have to be encouraged that even in the bad times, God is at work. He is at work, and he's not just at work, but he is at work doing a good thing, right? He's at work doing something good because we can become discouraged, and sometimes we become both. And so I love this because the Apostle Paul says he is confident in this. He is confident in this. This isn't something that he's like, ah, I don't know. Maybe God is going to fulfill his purpose in you. Maybe God is going to, no, that's not what he said. He said, I am confident in this thing, that he who began a good work in you will fulfill it, that he will bring it to completion. And I like the way the ESV says it, because the ESV, for those of you that read the ESV, it says that he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, at the day of Christ. You know why I like the ESV? Because what the ESV shows me is that until the day of Christ, God's still at work. Listen, you may look in the mirror and think you're okay. I want you to know God is still at work. You have not arrived until you pass through the pearly gates, until you stand before that judgment seat. Until that day, you and I have not arrived. No, if I look around at my life and everything seems okay and everything is all right, and I seem to have checked all the boxes, and I, God is still at work. And we need to be those people who are praying the same way the Apostle Paul does. He's praying from that place of purpose. He's praying from that place of confidence. He's praying knowing because even though, now remember now, he's writing this and he's writing this from where? From prison. This is one of his prison epistles. And, and I'll say this again, you know, in the new year if I preach through Philippians or the next time I do it. This prison wasn't like, you know, the, the prison that you find him with the Philippian jailer, right? This isn't that prison where he's in the stocks and his, you know, he's spread out. And I mean, that was rough, right? Like, that isn't that. This is house arrest. You know, this is a, a different scenario. Yet and still, he's still locked up. He's still got a guard that he's tied to this whole time, right? there. It's not like comfortable, right? Like, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been on house arrest. I hope not. I don't encourage it, you know, but um, 
It's not comfortable. And just imagine if you were on house arrest and a guard was next to you at all times, right? House arrest is bad enough, right? Like you can't go, you can't leave your house, you can't do certain things. But if you're on house arrest plus the way, see, back then they didn't have monitors. You know what your monitor was? It was a guard that you were chained to. That was your monitor, making sure you were doing things right. And so he's writing this, and he is encouraged of the good work God is doing in him. So what is he doing? He's encouraging them of the good work God is doing in them. That's what should happen to us when we are confident in what God does. I want you to turn over to the book of, of 1 Thessalonians as we continue to build on this point. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 23 through 24. And th this is where we're going to wrap up our time in, in this message of completion. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and look at um, verse 23. I'll wait till you turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, when you got to say so... And it says this, it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Christ, Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who will do it. This is what this whole series has been about. It's been about these words, he who has called you is faithful. He who has called you is faithful. It is about his faithfulness. And look at this, say this with me, say we must embrace God's process of completion. We're talking about completion. And so how is it that God processes us? How is it that God brings to pass these good works that he's going to bring to pass until the day of Christ, at the day of Christ? What is it that he is doing here? And what I think the Apostle Paul, because it's the same writer, different book, but the same writer is giving us some other hints here as to how God does this. And he says it now, made verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify, say sanctify sanctify you completely. May he sanctify you completely. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart for God's work. That's what it means to be sanctified. It means to be set apart for him. It means to be separated from everything else for him alone. The reality is God's good, work, good works. Now listen to me. God's good works don't always feel good. Are you here? His good works don't always feel good. You want to know why? Because the greatest part of his good work is making you and me look like Jesus. And you want you know, I don't know, I don't know about you, but you know, growing up, right, like being a guy, I, I don't, ladies, I don't know, I'm being for real, like when I say this, like I don't know about you, but like for me as a guy, like there were certain guys that I looked at and I was like, yo, I want to be yoked like him. Right? Like, 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 I saw certain things. You know, like, I saw six packs, eight packs, you know. I'm not talking about beer. I know I was talking about my uncle and my grandfather earlier. I'm talking about, like, you know, ripped folk, you know what I'm saying? Like, 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 I, I mean, I would see people like that, right? I'd be like, yo, like, for me, it was like LL Cool J. Don't be, don't be thinking like that, right? Like, but LL was like, for real, you know what I'm saying? Like, he was, and so I'm like, man, I want to be like him. But you know what I didn't want to do? I didn't want to work out like him. See, when I was younger, I didn't have the same issue I had now. I had good metabolism back then. Hello. 
right? So when I was younger, right, like I could eat whatever and it didn't matter. So it wasn't a thing about, you know, the, the consumption of food. It's that I didn't want to put in the time in the gym. I didn't want to work out like that. I didn't want to do the things, right, that, that, I, that I'm thinking of, right? Like, so that was me. So the thing is this, when, whenever you want to look like something, and now you guys know I do CrossFit, right? And so I look at these CrossFit guys, and there's like guys by the name of like Rich Froning, right? He's like five-time world champion. And then this guy named Matt Frazier, right? And you look at these guys, and you look at how much work they put in that. I've said this before, like I'm giving myself a time frame, but I doubt I'm going to make the games. I'm just going to be real with you. You want to know why? Because I don't have the time and, I, and, and it's not even I don't have the time. I don't want to make the time, glory to God, right? Like I enjoy lifting heavy weights and I enjoy doing some good stuff, but I am not willing, right, to put in that work. It's painful. Are you here? You have to deny yourself some stuff. And when you look at this work of sanctification that God is doing in you and that he's doing in me, listen, it's painful. When you look at Jesus in the example of perfection that he is and you see how amazing he is in all that he does, he never fails, he never falls short. He's always loving, he's always gracious. He knows exactly what to say in every situation. He knows exactly what not to say. He knows when to speak. Man, I'm like, my goodness. When I think about that, what does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart for God's good pleasure. To be set apart. And he goes on and he says, may the God of peace, right, sanctify you completely. Holy, right? Holy, completely. You know, body, soul, and spirit. And so what is he saying here? Is, is he arguing that we have a body, soul, and spirit? I don't think that's the argument here, right? I believe that that, I mean, I think the scriptures teach that. But here's the thing. That's not his argument. His point that he's making here is this, is that God, he's, he's praying this. After everything he said to the Thessalonians up to this point, he's saying, may the God of peace completely set you apart in your body, in your soul every area of your life. May he completely set you apart. So you know what? It's not enough for you not to just go places physically. He wants to remove the desire to be places internally. It's not, he, he, he wants you to think differently about place. Are you here? He wants you, he wants you to completely be his. He wants to get us to that place where my inclinations, though I may struggle against sin, my inclinations and my deepest longing, my deepest desire is for God. That's big. That's what sanctification looks like. It's the removal of this desire for things that are ungodly. It's this thing. It's this purification process that God begins to walk us to. So we see this progress, right? The progress of completion. And it is this. It is sanctification. Whole sanctification leads to what? Blameless preservation. He says what? He says that he would sanctify you. Let's read it together. He says here that he would sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming. You know what? We're going to stand before a holy God. And can I tell you something? If we walk with him, we're going to be holy people. If we have walked with him, if we have surrendered to him, we're not going to be fearful. We're not going to be trembling in fear. We're going to be confident in what? The blood of Jesus. We saw the video earlier. We're going to be confident in what Christ has done, but we are also going to be confident in what Christ is doing. 
It's not just about a one-day prayer. It's not just about a one-day faith. It is about me growing in this blamelessness before God in a way that I think, I act, I live differently as I get closer to God. And see, here's the thing we have to understand, and it is this, is that how is it that we become more like God? And the way that I understand this is as we come closer to him, we become more like him. You know, it's so sad because right now we're looking at so many, so many mass shootings and so many different things that are happening. I was watching the news the other day, and in one place I was heartbroken because it was a mother who was, you know, she was vehemently just denouncing, stop praying, I don't want your prayers, I don't want, and listen, my heart breaks for that mom. I'm not even going to go in on her because you know what? I can understand a mom, she doesn't want, she doesn't want prayers, she wants answers. She wants solutions. I don't think she's going to get the solutions where she thinks they are, but I can understand stand that that you know that that deep like yo my child just got killed right like I, I understand that she's I, I mean I, I'm assuming she's not a believer that's my assumption because I don't see a believer like going in like that but nonetheless you know there was another guy that he just decided he was going to tweet you know screw thoughts and prayers hashtag that right like that, that that was his thought now mind you he didn't lose anybody there. he's just an activist with a big mouth that's what he is and so I'll go in on him. You know why he says that? It's because he doesn't understand the power of prayer. He doesn't get it. He hasn't been changed by it, right? I mean, I mean just on a real level, he's got some issues, right? Like, I mean, this is a guy, you know, obviously, I mean, he, he said this in an interview that I was watching with him. You know, he's someone that's homosexual, and he's struggling against, you know, the, 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 the Christians that, you know, are, are in opposition to his beliefs and stuff like that. But here's the reality. The reality is this, is that we do not understand the very power of prayer in this nation. That, to me, is, and, and can I say this? We have, this nation has yet to see how powerful prayer really is that's the reason why people are so loosely and so flippantly saying we don't need your prayers it's because prayer is just a, see I hate this thing all we can do is pray I hate that statement that to me is the worst statement ever you want to know why because we are not talking to anyone you're not coming to talk to me it's not like saying hey I can go talk to Jason all I can do is go talk to Jason no 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 I'm, I'm no one I, when we are praying we are talking to God almighty we are talking to the creator of heaven and earth. We're talking to the one who spoke things into existence out of nothing. It wasn't like he had some stuff over here and was like, hey, let me put this together and I'm going to make things. No, 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 no. God said and there was. His words created. That is the person. I don't know about you. That excites me, right? Like that's the person whom we are talking to. The question is, do we really believe his power is able to change hearts? Because you know what? Here's the thing that we should all understand by now. If we have read our Bible, we understand understand this that the old testament is filled with over 600 and something commands and guess what the hearts of people were never changed by a law the hearts of people can only be changed by the power of the gospel they can only be changed by the power of the gospel. What laws do is expose our hearts for sure. They show us what is right and wrong for sure. But you know what? You know, you know what we need? Listen, when, when I think last year we started praying in the mornings uh, about this specific thing. And you know what I began to pray? Man, I, I, it was right before school was ending. What I began to pray, as I started to pray, listen, I don't even know. I, I'm just praying like this. I'm praying with my brothers, and I'm like, hey, we need to pray harder like this. We need more people praying like this because I don't know how many people pray this way. But my prayer is God you know those people that are thinking about doing these crimes 
You, God, you know that I'm saying this to the Lord. You know these people that are, that are contemplating these acts of terror. You know these people who are thinking about going and doing mass shootings. You know these people who are considering that. God, I pray for two things. Number one, I pray that you would soften their hearts, that you would draw them unto you, that you would reveal your love to them, your power to them, your, liber your liberating effect in their lives would become manifest. And number two, what I'm praying is, God, that you would raise up believers around this person that would actually reach out to them, that would actually step into their lives. And you know what that is? That's us being people who are about this great commission of making disciples. See, if we were really on our faces praying to God, nobody would be rejecting prayer. As a matter of fact, people would be running to prayer. They would be running to God for the power of prayer to bring change into people's lives. That's what would be happening. But you know what, church? And listen, I'm sorry if this offends you, but I don't even know if we believe the power of prayer. I don't know if we believe in it the way that we should, but what I know is the Apostle Paul, he's beginning Philippians with a prayer. He's ending Thessalonians with prayer. He's praying these things. And here's what I know is that being in the presence of God is where we are changed and become more like God. It's where we become more like him. We become more empowered by his spirit. We become more empowered by his word. And so we need to be those types of people. I want to read this quote from an archbishop of Canterbury, um, William Temple, a long time ago. There was an archbishop there, and he was talking about worship. And this is what he said worship is. He says, for to worship, now listen to this. This is like, you know, old language here, right? For to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open up the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. I'll read that again. For to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. See, when we enter into God's presence, our conscience is being transformed because we are being informed by the holiness of God. We're there and God is doing something inside of us. It is to feed the mind with the truth of God. You don't worship apart from God's word. Listen, we can sing songs. And I want you to know, when I'm talking about worship and this definition of worship here, this is there's two sides to worship, right? Two sides to that coin. There is the holistic side, which everything we do can be worshiped. But then there is the specific side, which is the separated time with you and the Lord. And we need to come back to that place because this is what I know, is that the holistic side of worship only is as powerful as that specific side of worship. You see, if I'm not spending time in the presence of God, having my conscience be marked by the holiness of God and feeding my mind with the truth of God, then I'm not going to be able to think the way God does. It is also to do what? To purge the imagination. Listen, I love this. To purge the imagination by the beauty of God. Oh, that's so awesome. I don't know about you, but my, but, but my mind is corrupt right? My thoughts sometimes are so in the gutter, but when I worship God, you know what he does? He elevates my thoughts to a totally different place. I don't, I don't think things the way that I used to. Why? Because I'm looking at the beauty of who God is. It is to open up the heart to the love of God. You know what happens when I'm in worship? When I'm in worship, my heart is being changed. It's being dominated. It's being transformed by the love of God. And it's to, vote, to devote the will to the purpose of God. You see, when I'm in worship, you know what happens? I can't come out of worship of that intimate time with God and be like, hey, you know what? My mind was changed. Your truth impacted me, but I'm going to continue living for myself. My will is transformed. And let me say this like this. 
to the degree that we as a church walk in transformation is to the degree that our culture will experience God's transforming power. If we are not being transformed in the presence of God, we shouldn't expect our culture to be transformed by the power of God. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, that we must trust God's faithfulness to complete his work in us. We must trust God's faithfulness to complete his work in us. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24, it says this, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. See, the prayer that the Apostle Paul was praying here was that God would sanctify them holy, that God would present them blameless. And then he recognized this. He recognized that the reason he prayed this prayer, the reason he penned this prayer, the reason the Holy Spirit could inspire him in this prayer is because he who calls you is faithful. See, God wants us to be complete. God wants us to walk in his good works. God wants us to experience the power of who he is and to live that out, to walk in a blameless way. He wants that for us. He wills that for us. His word is filled with those clear commands. But the reality is this, is that we have to know this, that God is the one. He is the one who is faithful. The apostle Paul does what? He lets us know his confidence in this completed work is because God is faithful. I need you to let that sink in because it's the last message that I'm going to preach about God's faithfulness for right now in this series. Next week, I'm going to wrap it up with something else that I believe is very important to this whole topic, and it's how do we internalize these promises of God and getting to know who he is. But today, I want that to soak in as we wrap up this message. God is faithful. Listen again, no matter where we are, right, people have definitions of who God is. If, you know, b- b- believers think God is this, God is that, you know, and, and you know, they, they have different definitions even in the church. Non-believers have different definitions. But here's the thing that we understand. The word of God tells us of who God is, and it says that he is faithful. You know what that means? It means he is trustworthy. But the reason why he is trustworthy is because he has a track record. You got to get that. He never fails God never quits. God never gives up. God does not get overwhelmed. There's nothing that stops God. I love the first song that we opened up with, right? Unstoppable God, right? He is unstoppable in what he sets out to do. There is nothing that can stop God from fulfilling his will. And here's the beauty of this. The beauty of this is, whether we like it or not, if we go back in our Bibles, there is the, the reason why we have these scriptures here, the reason why they are there in part is for our instruction to remind us of who God is. And God shows himself throughout the word of God to be faithful, throughout scripture to be faithful. Even when men are faithless, God remains faithful. God continues to accomplish his will and his purpose it does not matter and that is the reason why we can have confidence that God is going to complete his works listen we may not know why we're going through what we're going through we may not know how God's going to complete what he's going to complete and we may not even agree with what God is doing and all of those are irrelevant factors because the Bible says that God is faithful and not just that he says here that he will do it He will do it. 
And so our hope, our confidence, and our trust is in what? It is in the faithfulness of who God is and the fact that God says that he will accomplish that work. The thing that he started in you, number one, it's a good thing, and you have to believe that. It's a good thing. And number two, he will bring it to completion. See, here's the thing that I understand. Trusting that God's work in us is good and that he will complete it, it is a demonstration that we really understand that he's faithful. You see, when I trust, his work is good. It may not feel good right now, but it's good. It may not look good, but it's good. I don't know how it's all going to end up, but I know it's good. It may not be the way that I want it to be, but it is good. And you know what? I know that he's a good God. And I can trust his faithfulness. And so here is my closing question for you. Are you trusting God's process of completion in your life? Are you trusting God's process of completion in your life? I asked you to think about this earlier. Where is it that you see God working? Where is it? Is it in a relationship? Is it in your health? Is it in your finances? Maybe, listen, maybe it's in, this, in your community. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. I don't know where it is. Maybe it's just you personally. There is, I mean, are you trusting his faithfulness? Are you trusting that he is good? Are you trusting him in this process? Listen, I wish I could give you step one, step two, and step three on how to trust. There is no step one, step two, or step three. It's just you got to trust. I count to three for you, one, two, three, and then fall, right, like a trust fall. Like we can do that. If you want, right? We're going to do that by faith, right? Everybody stand up. I'm just joking. <laughs> We're going to do a trust fall right now. Let's see how much you trust the Lord. Just stand in the aisle and then just fall back. <clears throat> Let's see if he catches you now. Listen, sometimes it's tough to trust him, but we have to believe he is faithful and he will do it. Amen? So I stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Faithful God. We come before you today with humble hearts. We acknowledge that your grace is sufficient in our weakest moments. We acknowledge that you are trustworthy, and we acknowledge that you are faithful. And so, Lord, today, I ask that you would help all of us trust you more. Help us to recognize you as doing good works in us, and let, and let us trust that you will accomplish that, God. Lord, whatever needs to be purified in us, God, purify our pride. God, purify our doubts. Purify our fears. Purify us, Lord God, of thoughts that are incompatible with that in your word. Lord, purify us that we may be blameless at your appearing, Lord. God, today, I pray for the ones in this place that are struggling to trust you in the process. Lord, may you strengthen their faith in your faithfulness. And Lord, we thank you because we know that you are at work in us and your works are good. We honor you for this. We pray these things in Jesus' good name and everyone said. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.